0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, the last episode of Campus Chats for this academic year. My name is Kim Zwitserla, I'm one of the lecturers at UCU, University College Utrecht, I teach economics. I'm also one of the tutors here, and I'm here today with Chiara Robiano. Chiara, could you maybe shortly introduce yourself?
1: hi. Hi. Hello, Kim. Thank you for having me here. It's uh, such a lovely idea you had to interview people. Yes, so I'm Chiara Robbiano. I'm a philosophy teacher. At this point, I am also a teacher in the China track at the University College, and I'm the honours director. Okay. And you're uh, originally
0: from Italy, right? Right. Yeah, because you grew up in Cheyenne, Is that correct? Genova, yes. Genova, I'm sorry, I was already (laughs) afraid I was going to mispronounce
1: it. (laughs) Yes, yes, Genova. I've been living there for, uh, yeah, almost, I think, 25 years before coming to the Netherlands with some interruptions. I I lived in Boston when I was four and in Kingston, Ontario when I was 17. And then I went on exchange in Berlin
0: as a student. And um, yeah, because you mentioned Kingston when you were 17, that was during your high school years, right? Right. What was that like? Because that was your first experience
1: on your own outside of Italy or?
0: Well, it was not on my
1: own. Uh, I was with my family Mm -hmm. for one year. So um, I did live in the basement of the house we swapped. So that was in a way a bit living alone, but not really because my parents and my brother were just upstairs. So, yes, it was a very strange year because, well, when you are 17 and you are in high school in Italy, you think that you are a young intellectual. Um, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you move to North America and somehow at least there, it was like, we are kids. And so that felt very, very strange to me. And I, yeah, I had a bit of trouble to, to relate to the other kids there, but luckily they involved me in the cross country team very early on. So uh, I had like, well, the two uh, daughters of two colleagues of my dad, we were there because my dad was a visiting professor at Queen's, U- Queen's University. So they involved me with this cross country, which I had never done before. I never run before in Italy. But I mean, I was like, okay, if that's what you guys are doing, like, let's do it. And it was actually very, very beautiful because it was uh, then later it became autumn and of course um the foliage changes color in in, uh, in Canada and running through the woods was very very special at the beginning was more running in the streets of Kingston but uh yeah so that that was that was good and also bonding element to to other people in class because you mentioned yeah <laughs> yeah no, because you mentioned that um
0: In Italy, you sort of felt as a young person, as a young intellectual, what
1: what made you feel? What about... (laughs) Okay, Um, well, you know, just you would, um, I mean, we would read Shakespeare and Beckett and discuss it as, as if we are the big... Yeah. we are into literature and then we would go to the movie and we, we uh, we'll, uh, you know we would discuss issues about that. So we did not feel as, as kids at all, but uh, so actually it was kind of awful to, to, to remember when we were kids and we didn't know stuff. So in a way that, that was more the, the attitude, like reading a lot of books and discussing it as if you are this uh, yeah, decadent intellectual perhaps.
0: Yeah. And then in Canada, young people engage in different activities
1: or what was? Yeah, it was more about sport and maybe technology sometimes. Like someone was very happy because they had a microwave oven. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: me as this blasé intellectual, I was like, how could you ever say that you were happy about some piece of furniture in your house? (laughs) I remember that this was really something that shocked me that someone would, would like mention that it's like come to my house and we'll show you the microwave <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was a bit like a different way of, uh, well I don't know finding meaning of life when you are in this yeah. period where you are like such a almost adult Um either you play that you are an adult as we did with my friends in Italy or you just be a kid and, and just do stuff and eat ice creams and pancakes so that i learned to do as well amazing so <laughs> because it sounds
0: yeah. like a bit bit of a culture shock indeed, like a very yeah
1: very kind of very <laughs> yeah because yeah.
0: then when you were back in italy you went to university and you really truly no i still had
1: college. no no i still had one uh, one year of high school because in italy we have like one year longer than 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 here so it, ah, okay uh, 13 years and so I still and that was also a bit strange to to be back in need to have the last year in uh, in high school something changed I had always been super good in Russian that was one of my favorite topics uh, after philosophy and uh, suddenly I was very bad because I didn't do any Russian in, 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 and so that was also a bit strange but then I was like oh yeah so it, it was a bit difficult in a way to find my place again in in, in the class but uh, But my old friends were there and, of course, at that time I had written a lot of uh, long letters with my best friends, so we had been in touch, so these people were still in my class and uh, that was beautiful, that was beautiful and also something very strange is like the pace of life. I thought that in Canada everything was very slow, Mm -hmm. so that was very, very strange at the beginning to adjust and then coming back to Italy, everything was very, very quick, very fast-paced and... uh, but then yeah, I mean, at some point I, I found my place again. And soon, indeed, university started, which was what I have always wanted to do, study philosophy. So that was good. And yeah, so that is... Uh, and, and yeah, and with a different feeling perhaps, because it, it also gave me a lot of strength, I think, to feel so alone at the beginning. I really felt very, very lonely because of this mismatch. And later I found really, really good friends. Like, like amazing friends but at the beginning no i mean i had these girls they would i would go cross-country and and i think that that really helped me also the beginning in the netherlands when Mm -hmm. uh, there is this moment when um, for instance when you start speaking the language but people think that you are dumb because you don't speak the language well and that it was even more difficult you like 25 it was very difficult so for me in the netherlands but I think I was like I I managed in Canada and and at yeah. some point I mean everything went well I, yeah uh, yeah so that helped me a lot so also the suffering of, of being lonely at the beginning in Canada yes
0: yeah and just knowing like this doesn't last this will change no. at some point and then if it happens again there's it's easier to carry in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also with the language, because I mean, yeah, we were young intellectuals and we were reading Shakespeare and Beckett, but I was not speaking English at all in my school. I mean, it was reading and writing. And then these people just, these kids would speak to me and just say, would you like to come with us? And I was like, can you say it again? Would you like to come with us? And I would have no idea what I was saying, like, OK, let's come. And I remember one, I was standing in the middle of the shopping street selling flowers for charity which was a good thing to do. But I had no idea I would have I had signed in for that because I could yeah. not understand what we would do. So and it was something like, "Would you like to come with us for selling a flower for charity for Epilepsy Kingston?" And I was like, for me, it was like blubber, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. and yeah. And then I ended up doing something very nice. But uh, yeah, and the same was like in the Netherlands when I started to speak Dutch that I didn't understand where one word would start and the other one would finish. Yeah. So it was like this blur. But um, but that's also that was good to to remember that at some point everything makes sense so I just go go on and it will happen
0: I imagine that that's useful as well right now working with a lot of our students who are also maybe experiencing that culture shock adjusting to a new life um having to figure out everything on their own that knowing indeed I've gone through that
1: as well yeah that's true that's true that was one of the things I said in my when I applied for a tutor position like I probably now 14 years ago it's you like? I mean, these kids are just like me. <laughs> they are always completely like starting up in a new place, and um, and so I'm sure I can help them because I've been there. So yeah, that's true. So it's still very relatable.
0: So so why philosophy? Because you mentioned it was always like this as well. Always there, yeah. Why yeah. philosophy?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it, at the beginning, it was it seemed very strange. I could not understand it myself. Like. So in Italy, when you are in the third year of the high school of high school, uh, you get philosophy. And that is history of philosophy. So you start with ancient Greek. And there was Heraclitus with these things like the way up and the way down are the same. And and I was like, this is so amazing. So amazing. So he went to my dad, Dad, this is so amazing. And he told me, it sounds like fortune cookies. So, it was not so encouraging.
0: Uh, later, he
1: said that when he decided to study mathematics, his second best was philosophy, but he never oh, mentioned okay. that to me at that point. So it was like, okay, I, I'm crazy, but I really like it. Yeah, people, because I guess I've always liked that it was abstract to a certain extent. I like I don't like details in many things, so I really like big pictures, but mm-hmm. still very meaningful. So about, about at the end is really about our lives. That's what how, uh, how I see philosophy. So I would not be able to do philosophy as just looking at something really, a tiny argument by some, some something and just zoom in very deeply and just confine it to that. It must be meaningful. And having this, it was just like, I guess, a kid in a, I don't know, in a toy store. Every, every week we would have a new system explaining how reality was from a completely different perspective. And the, it was just mind-blowing. It's like, so, okay, so life can be so interesting if you can look at it from so many perspectives. So I, I stopped to be bored. I was a bit bored, I guess, before. And that was just like, okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Because you mentioned that it
0: has to be meaningful for you. And and mm. when do you consider something to have meaning?
1: Mm. Uh, it has meaning when it can give me metaphorically a new window to look at my reality. So even something that sounds really, really abstract as like for a while I was studying this uh, arguments made both by a Greek philosopher Parmenides and an Indian one Shankara saying that we are not fundamentally individual, but it's fundamentally we are something like either being or consciousness, something which we immediately realize. And, And as soon as you start telling yourself that you are this or that. That is like opinion or some kind of discourse. That, so this would say, yeah, okay, very interesting, but what does it have to do with me? Well, it it makes me think, like it makes me think, for instance, about, okay, but then some boundaries that we draw are arbitrary, are useful, but they don't need to be real. They don't need to be very important from another perspective. So even such an argument that you might say, okay, it's just interesting because like your brain does some gymnastics to see how could you argue for such a preposterous position? Still, even such a uh, such an argument can give some insight on, on practices and on our way of being in the world. So, yeah. Okay, because
0: um, in university, you were really focusing mainly on um sort of classical philosophy if I understand correctly
1: um well that was actually the choice I had when I decided to write a thesis it was more like mm-hmm. philosophy yes it was all western absolutely there yeah. was not even mentioned that there could be anything beyond yeah. that so I didn't even know that it existed except that I had some like you know 101 zen stories perhaps at home seen yeah. by my uh yeah I think that my dad loved the crazy stories like the fortune cookies, for example. <laughs> uh, after all, um, secretly. No, but I never associated that with anything philosophical at that point. It was just really fun. So that was literature, I thought. And yes, so only Western. And actually, when I decided to write my thesis in in ancient Greek philosophy, it was just because I thought that the methodology of the professor was very sound. That means that in that period in Italy, or at least uh, the University of Genoa, some of the other professors would just tell you things about silence, about being, about this and that, but they were maybe like they looked more to me like rhetoricians that really like, artisans that show you how the argument goes. So they were maybe very in love with the thought of the thinker that I were working on. So they would just give these lectures that were very fascinating. But I was like, are you really teaching me how to do that myself or just saying something very inspiring? And this professor just said, okay, we're going to study Aristotle Rhetoric. We open the first page and we read it and we see How he builds his argument and it was like wait a sec if I write a thesis with this guy then I'm going really to learn something so it's not that I really liked Greek philosophy more than other philosophies that I had uh, been taught but I like how this professor was working so that was why I did that yeah
0: because was there any um, thinker or philosopher you came across in your bachelor or in your master that did sort of make that light bulb go off? Where you were like, oh, wait, I can also look at the
1: world in this way. Um, well, perhaps there. Plotinus, and that is was, was indeed Greek. So in a way, that was what I asked the, the professor if I could do the thesis on. And it was maybe because of because of some images about maybe because I like thinking about what are actually opposites like um, light and darkness but also death and life and what are they actually and so this was something that I, I was interested in but not in a way that if I did not do that I would be very very unhappy it was just like an idea. And indeed he said, oh, no, you cannot do Plotinus if you don't do Parmenides. So yeah. either do Parmenides or you do Aeschylus. And Aeschylus, yeah, wrote tragedies which are completely beautiful. But the guy was also like, if you want to do a thesis with me, you have to work with the Greek text. Yeah. And I, I was like, yeah, but uh, I was in a linguistic lyceum. So I was not, I was not trained. In, yeah. in 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 old in old in ancient languages. He said, "I don't care. you just you follow the class. we have it at the, you yeah. go to the Greek class. So I did one year of that to in in preparation. and then so Parmenides is very difficult and 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 famous for being difficult, but, the, the the poem, what we have are like fragments of his poem that is like quotes of his poem are not very many. So I was like, I can make sure that I understand the Greek of this. I mean, understand there are 20 interpretations for every line, but yes. at least that I can follow the Greek, let's say, yes. so I, if I have to read the old tragedy then it will probably take me five years. So let's just yes. uh, do Parmenides. So actually I started writing this thesis without having a particular love for this philosopher. Yes.
0: Yeah. I'm imagining asking our students now to say, you need to read it in the old Greek. Um <laughs> to hear what the response would be. Because <laughs> um, yeah. you did actually continue with descent because you came to the Netherlands to Leiden to do your PhD here. Yes, uh, and how did yeah. you make that des- decision?
1: Was yes. it yeah. in country or university or... It that was completely random. It was like such okay. a random, yeah. So I really wanted to go out, out like not to stay in Italy. That was something I, I, I didn't feel at home in Italy. Maybe I would have not felt at home anywhere, but I didn't feel at home in Italy. So as soon as I graduated, um, I started looking for scholarships. But my, So my exchange was in Berlin and that was a lovely time, but I did not meet like one professor, like I want to do the rest of my studies with this person. So I did not really know, I tried to get a scholarship for Berlin, which I did not get. And then at some point, um, a, like a fellow student discovered that there was this small, it was not even a scholarship, but something that usually, professor had like that you have you can declare the expenses if you go and work at some library in some places but it was said that it was also open for graduate students who were like looking into what to do next okay so that was like amazing that he found out so it was a bit like covering maybe one month expenses and it was also very funny because um it's very strange scholarship i could it could pay for two meals a day and i was not allowed to go to the supermarket so basically, I was, then I, te- I will tell you why I ended up in the Netherlands, but with this idea, I need to go twice a day to a restaurant because I have to <laughs> produce the receipt on my own okay. in a foreign country. So I said, so I went to the, the, the professor who was my supervisor, like, okay, I found out that I, I can do this, but where shall I go? Yeah. He was like, hmm, I know someone. And, and okay, yeah, my point was like, I did the thesis with you because you, you taught me a method. And now, since I have struggled for like one year with this poem and I discover some concepts I really like like concept of justice, necessity, and they are so different from our ideas. I think I would really like to look more into some of these concepts, which means that I need to go to a place with someone who can really, who knows ancient Greek very well and can do philosophy. So this like both and thing. It was like, mm, let me think. I met someone at some point, a nice colleague at the University of Leiden. And I think that she told me that other people at her university do the same. Yeah. So, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> give me the address. And so I applied, I got the scholarship, and I adjust this name. So, yes. Um, Marlene was there and uh, so she was not there but she said okay we can have like lunch once a week and uh, I can give you some tips and for the rest yeah. it's was a beautiful library in Leiden so that's how I, landed, I had ended up in Leiden because he had this connection with, uh, yeah. with this person in Leiden and uh, yeah and that was really love at first sight really I remember like from Schiphol I was um, yeah just out of the train and I Look around, and i I get a cab because i I think in Berlin ideas, right? So like, and then the cab basically drops me off like (laughs) three minutes later on the Rappenbergham International Center. And (laughs) I'm like, and this is the International Center, like a very tiny, super pretty little house on the canal. And I was thinking of these, you know, 24-floor buildings for for international students. And, And yeah, it was, I think, May or June, so, Uh, like flowers coming out of the pavement everywhere and of the the brick stones on the Mm -hmm. street. And it was like, this is just paradise. This is not not really a real country or real place. It's not possible. So, so pretty, so pretty. I was like completely in love. And yeah, and everybody was relaxed and everybody was fine. And I was having lunch with this very nice professor. And she would just say, OK, do you know who, who is in Utrecht, who you could talk to for your ideas for, for the PhD? Well, oh, this person, like, oh, really? Is he Dutch? I thought he was German. OK, then I was reading this book yeah. and then visiting this person, talking to him, and then going to the library again. And the library had everything. In the library of Genova, there were like random things. Like, you looked yeah. for something. It was like, this one was there, the other one was not there. And it was impossible at that point. to yeah. To buy books, order books, find them online, that was not really there, did not exist. So it was like a paradise. I was copying things and reading things and, and having, having sort of late breakfast and early dinner every day at a different dressing. <laughs> so my impression of the Netherlands was like complete like uh Yes, <laughs> Yes, really beautiful. Because had you been to the Netherlands before you? Uh... No, no. Oh, wow. Who okay. yeah. came? No. And it, they didn't. So I did, had no idea where it was, like basic, like Benelux. That's, yeah. What I, I had in mind. And what language did they speak? So they would say like mention language that could be relevant it's a bit like German so it was like yeah German I know some German and English and so So I, I arrived I started speaking German then I realized it was not very much appreciated so then I saw that, <laughs> that English was okay and it was like yeah. okay sure whatever then everybody spoke English luckily yeah I forgot all my German by the way um, at the beginning I, I was like speaking dutch with some german accent or something and now i probably could not even order coffee because i've never been to germany after and everything became dutch wow that's another story (laughs) yeah you need
0: to keep up with it to uh, keep (laughs) it alive in a way um Mm -hmm. because you mentioned there were some concepts in parmenides that you found very fascinating things like justice where he just had a completely different way of looking at it than you had been used to is it something you took along with you into your phd thesis
1: uh Yes, yeah, that was also very, very interesting how that developed. So um, once when I was talking to to this uh, professor, like the, the colleague of, of, of my Italian professor, she was like, the head of the department would like to invite you and the other staff members for dinner. And I was like, really? Like, I mean, in Italy, it's much more hierarchical. So it's like, yeah. I'm just a graduate student. How is it possible that the head of the department Anyway, So this was a really amazing dinner, and so I also met the other colleagues. And uh, Ilya, Ilya Pfeiffer, was one of the colleagues there, so I also met him there. And 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 so it was really really beautiful, and I met them with each of them. But the professor was the professor of Greek, and he said, Parmenides, you did your master thesis on Parmenides, but I've always wanted to look at Parmenides really really in depth, and in the end I've never done it. So it was like. Do you like to supervise my PhD by all <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, so, and he was like, yes, let's try it. So first I had to write a very, very big apologetic letter to my other professor in Italy, who was thinking she's mm-hmm. going to this beautiful library, and then she comes back and yeah. she's my student. So that was one thing. But then we, we, we started with him. So back to your question. So I was starting to do a thesis, actually with the philologists. Uh, so, No, no justice or necessity. It was just like, okay, you start reading easier. (laughs) You know, like very like the the um work and days didactic poem with how to behave and how to even to tend to the earth and make the the you know these words that I wouldn't know in any, any kind of language. So I had to read that and then to go to his place once a week to see if I understood not only like the grammar but also really the rhetoric of it. Like what does it mean to have a, a poem that wants to teach you how to live? Yeah. And and because that was one of the things that I sensed in Parmenides that, except for the concept I was interested, that people tended to just, uh, Look at the description of being. He talks about being and not being. Yeah. But I was like, uh, this is not a description. He says all the time, look, don't do that. You are stupid if you do that, and so on. So I thought we need to look also at speech acts in a completely different way. And and well, and I was here with a professor of Greek, so it was like, okay, now we're going to look at the rhetoric of this. Yeah. This is like the 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 golden, the golden way. And and so that was our approach to start with Mm -hmm. to really look at what and then it became it stayed that idea stayed because in the meanwhile after one and a half year this professor died which was for me like a complete disaster because in his like his friends or colleagues were my family here yeah so that was also very big impact but the idea that it would become like Parmenides as a transformative poem, a poem that wants to change your life, wants to yeah. change how you look at things. That stayed. Yeah. But he was not there anymore and he would have, uh, I think, in a way pushed me to be very, very close to the text. Yeah. So really, really just basically look at some particle. There was one particle that means something like effect. And yeah. I had to look at that for a long time. And I had different ideas about that and he was like oh, not really and so on so it would have stayed very close to the text which is at the end something I think it's necessary but it's not me I want to yeah think bigger or I mean I want to have fun I don't know um, so what happened is that I was let's say inherited by the official professor that, that yeah. the, he was retired so there was this new professor and she was a bit like what are you doing you know like what is this so she was not really, Maybe I didn't have big affinity with with my yeah. project, so in a way, she left me quite alone, which gave me a lot of freedom. Yeah. So in the same idea of looking at the transform, like I, the idea was to look at the rhetorical strategies, I started looking into film theory, into stuff like how do you get people to change change their mind? Yeah. And there I went even back to this concept. It's just like okay, if the concept, let's say, decades, so this kind of justice was used in Homer to say that the justice of the young person is to work and of the old person to to relax. Um, How does he use it when he, when Prometheus wants to break out the opposites and say the opposites are just convention. So how can he use a concept that is actually used to divide the pie and say, this is your piece, this is my piece, this is the young, this is the old. How can you uh, work and change a concept in the course of a short poem that yeah. at the beginning you think, ah, the one, Dike, so it's probably there to separate living and dead people. Yeah. And then, no, wait, she's not doing that, but still it's called, still called Dika, it's still some kind of justice, but now it's a different justice, not the justice that divides, but the yeah. justice that maybe embraces. So all th- it started in a way as rhetoric, but it's like a very big, I don't know, semantic uh, transformation. So how do you make people change their mind about things that they think they're obvious? And yeah. how do you do it in the course of a poem? And how do you introduce, so the question were how do we introduce the idea of being? Uh, I mean, nobody thinks about being, you think about this is yellow or this is still there. Yeah. don't think of being but the guy thought that it was important yeah. for us to realize that besides being yellow and being there there was also something more immediate that if you would log into that uh, something would change in your life and he doesn't and that either we don't have this fragment or he is not explicit about how important it is to your life. I mean, he says that you are completely stupid if you don't do it and you okay. will be always confused and you will yeah. be always with two heads instead of one, all these things he says. But he doesn't say, okay, if you do it, then you will be stronger or more relaxed or he doesn't say anything yeah. like that. Just as like, don't be like these stupid people who are confused between being and not being. You have to follow my my discourse and and focus on a certain thing. So this existential part came came up. And the concepts I was interested in, they were like examples of his many different strategies to make people see the world in a different way. And and which strategy speaks to you the most? Because it's
0: funny, Mm -hmm. because in some ways, that is what we're trying to do as teachers, of course. We're trying to Mm -hmm. make people see the world in a certain way.
1: That's a very good question, Kim. Um, I I, I like them all and and it's so witty how, like the first ones is how you get someone into the frame of a different way of looking at things. And this is when I look, how I looked at films, like how do, what are the strategies that cause, I think what Coleridge called the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Why do you listen about uh, flying horses or or, yeah. or I don't know what? So how do you get into that? And, and so that is already something that I thought it was completely fascinating, even because there are like there is seems to be a double framework in Parmenides. So I was in that period looking also at, at movies that, for instance, start with, let's say, a play. Mm-hmm. I remember this one by Almodovar. So you start with a play could be I think, or possibly. Now I don't remember yeah. which one. Yeah, well, yes, yeah it could be.
0: A more place later yeah, on, but yeah,
1: yeah, 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 fantastic. And or or maybe yeah, it was on the one um, with the torero and the one matador. Uh, but now I will come back to me. The one with yeah, who no was worries. in coma. No, yeah. it's the one you know that, that is in coma. Oh, uh, Ablekoneia. Okay, now I'm just Ablekoneia. Coneia. Okay. That's it. So it starts with the play, and then you think, okay, we are in the play, but maybe you are not even in the, you are not yet in the mood yeah. in being in that play. But then, as soon as the play finishes and you are in the audience, now yeah. you say, oh, that's real. So now you are completely in the movie. So the trick was to make you like two removes, and then yeah. you go back and you say, "Okay, that's it." Yeah. So that is also something that. Uh, so those kind of things that are completely not immediate philosophical stuff, yeah. but that that really work to to make you, yeah, suspend the disbelief, let's say. So this is one thing I, I really like, but also changing one concept from the, from the from the from the, from the from inside the poem, and just the idea that we can we can do that like i mean what i don't like is if you read and that is inevitable as well if you read a poem or a philosophical piece of another tradition or another time of course you will use your own concepts to understand it that's quite inevitable but Maybe it's not even that it was enough to be ancient Indian or ancient Greek to understand it. So maybe it was also for the readers. It was yeah. something difficult. So, in a way, if you do your research about what could be the, the what could the people who would read it like know, like what were their association with this work before the philosopher started yeah. transforming it? That is also very interesting because first, first you you delve into a world that is already not ours, but maybe yeah. of some epics or some uh, traditional stuff, and then from there you see how the philosopher themselves go and change it gradually, and then gives you a completely different view on what, yeah. be it justice or something else is. Yes, so that is also a very, very, very cool one.
0: Because you finish your PhD in Parmenides, uh, your hmm. thesis was called "Becoming Being." And then at some point in the last number of years, there was a shift in your interest towards more non-Western
1: philosophies. Yeah. And how did that come about? Yeah. Thanks to UCU. So it was a colleague who was teaching the world philosophies. Mm -hmm. In the summer, it was a summer course. And when I started teaching in 2007, he was like... um, would you like to teach a guest course? Because I was, I was, I think I was hired just to replace someone in the first place to teach half of the introduction to Western Mm -hmm. philosophy. And so I was just there and then I I became a tutor. So it was like, would you like to do a guest lecture? Then you study something different. I was like, sure, give me one, you know, homework and I will study it and then I will teach. And he was like, um, okay, I give you Zen Buddhism. And I was like, oh, I do Aikido, this martial art, I've heard about Zen before, so maybe it will be easy for me. So I started reading this thing, and and I was like, wow, it completely blew my mind. So this was really like, no, Aikido didn't help at all, and I couldn't believe, like, in Greek, and, and in all the philosophies I knew, well, no, I should qualify that, but at least like the what one thinks that there are things there are substances there are building blocks there are you know like little stones be them atoms or maybe you could think play to their ideas so it's different, there are some starting points and then and then you can build all of reality from there and they can be very strange and very different from each other but that's kind of maybe the the the, the, the assumption um, and then suddenly there is a philosophy that says like there is no such thing Mm-hmm. And there is no such thing. So you start thinking, okay, but how, how does it work? Not even a big one that, that, that gets them all inside or no, 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 really don't, don't think like that. Think more in terms of events, like events, but who does the event, you know, you, you, you keep, I kept trying to force what I was reading down to my categories and yeah it did not, not work so yeah. but it did not work in a very satisfying way very very like oh wow yes so this this is really different this is really different and uh, yeah so that was my first meeting with with eastern let's say philosophies was this a uh, zen buddhism guest class but actually what really really drew me in like more professionally let's say when i started teaching the class and then I, I developed it from a summer course to like a regular course with a reader so I looked up yeah. I found all primary this world text,
0: philosophy class right I use
1: world philosophy yeah. Class. yeah that still exists. so yeah, so I developed this reader and and then I found this reference in the text that that I was using so Cooper, the text that this uh, this um, that Thomas this um, colleague had selected. I found this this thing that says, basically about Parmenides, we don't say anything because everything we say about Advaita Vedanta, this Indian school, that's basically the same. And I'm like, oh. so there is another one that does what Parmenides do? And so that was really like, oh, okay, let me see. it. And, and so the good surprise was, one, that this Shankara guy re- wrote a lot of stuff, not just like this Tiny pieces as it yeah. would Parmenides, so you could really follow the argument. and the mm, super beautiful stuff w- Were are the two super beautiful stuff? one, uh, he said that um, worlds are created by words, and that is something that I really like, like um, immediately, like words divide the world in a certain way, and then make you live in a certain way. And if you divide the world in another way, maybe you have a completely different life. Yeah. So that already was like, okay, fortune cookie again effect, but that's you are yeah, that's what yeah. I really, and what I really think that Parmenides is also doing but about that part, there is a big controversy in permanent studies up to the point that I got sick of going to Congresses where people would just say like, on which side are you about the con- yeah. Like the conventional?" and I'm like, I mean, this is not football guy, let's just be. <laughs> so, so that was like very controversial, but, but it was a part of this. And I was like, okay, let me see what arguments the guy here, the Indian guy has about this. And the other one is like, they are both regarded, Parmenides and Shankar, big monist, like there is only one thing. But they start their argument by contrasting two things, being and not being, or self and no self. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is again, this is not just like, oh, they are two monists that's why they have been compared to each other, or they are similar. But the argument that lead to this preposterous idea that there is only being without a division, they, they, they start their arguments in the same way, in a way that it is counterintuitive, but really, really, really works. So I was like, okay, now I'm really going to see how Shankara develops this argument, because for the first time I thought, my interpretation of Parmenides is not so crazy. It makes sense if it has been developed by a very respected exponent of yeah. another, so it's like, it's not a question of influences. I don't care if people in Baghdad met or at some yeah. point or you know they talk to each other, but it's really like, okay, this system makes sense. Yeah, And I had had a hard time to make some people understand like, or accept my interpretation as possible as based really on, on, on the fragment. Uh, some people were completely enthusiastic but some other people they would say, yeah, I see how you get there. But the end result doesn't make any sense. So how would you, I mean, how can you do all this, take all these steps and then find out that, yeah, you are one with being, or there is only beings and that includes you, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, so that was was what made me really look into Shankara. And that's that yeah that developed into really me trying to publish uh, an article on philosophies and west so i thought look this will be my thesis <laughs> my my admiss- admittance thesis to the world of comparative philosophy if i manage to publish there then i'm going to take myself seriously and otherwise yeah. it's just like something that i kind of do for for fun or i don't know so let's yeah. try that and that was a really exciting time so basically for nine months every single day I was looking at like checking my mail and we started making really jokes with Jeroen my husband like I just check if I have mail from Honolulu and and like thinking of course they have you know like (laughs) completely trashed and 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 after nine months then there were like three readers that looked at it and as it always happens, like one loved it completely. One was uh, very cautious. The other one had a lot of question marks, but none said reject. So I really had to work on it more because yeah, I, I was really a beginner. But yeah, it was done, I and mean, and so they promised me that in two years they would publish it in their journal. Yeah. So I mean, the, it took it took really for ages. So first writing it, then nine months waiting, then two years, and then no no, then changing it, and then two years. But yeah, but then then it was there, and uh, yeah, and from there I dared to take myself a little bit more seriously, and I published a few more articles on these two people. Uh, like other angles other other things because it was so fascinating yes
0: it's funny because it's again that sort of the theme of like how do you make people open up their mind and let them look at the world in a different way yeah that's something that keeps on coming back basically yeah
1: yeah yeah and then at some point i was like this is really interesting, but I really I really would like a more dynamic metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Like this is so static. It can it can give very nice insights about boundaries being arbitrary and other stuff. But it is not really, really the way I want to see the world. And in in the meanwhile, I was like, I'm not ashamed anymore of looking into philosophies that I that really speak to me. Yeah. Not just because the argument is so beautiful or you know those kind of more technical stuff but let's look at things that I really like without yeah. any uh, shame or something or you know um, and at that point I was like <laughs> I always wanted to learn Japanese I always want to to be more in Japan and um, it's maybe very crazy at this point I mean be less crazy if you're 20 and blah, blah, blah. but why not so then I started and studying Japanese and looking at um, Japanese philosophy in translation. So I think the first time was something with Nishida and Plato that I published in something very obscure. Uh, but I mean, it was, it was on the agenda again and I was happy again, and then my sabbatical came up and then I, I found uh, a way again, luck and beautiful people to be invited as a visiting professor to Tohoku University in Sendai. And then I, I spent half a year there with my family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was that experience like? Because it's such a different culture from any of the other countries where you had lived before.
1: Yes. And that's, I mean, that was really, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. I kind of, even if I realize how different it is, and even if I realize that I've not worked as a Japanese in a Japanese company, that would be very different. I've been there as a foreigner, but still I feel immensely at home. Yeah. So that is um, the way that people, at least in Sendai dealt with us on everyday level, even people who'd in a shop just talk to us in Japanese, even if we yeah. did not understand or could not answer they really connected in a way like uh, through through the body and the gesture they were doing that made us feel included all the time yeah. and uh, never felt lonely never okay we were the three of us of course but never felt uh, foreign in, in a yeah. way as like yeah it's clear that i mean they 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 behave towards us in a different way not never 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 um, so yeah, I, I know, I know it's, it's almost ridiculous that my experience is like only positive, but so it is only positive and um, everything, food, uh, language, which I imagined that after studying at that point, I think I had studied half a year Japanese. I thought, oh, I go there, my Japanese, yeah. But no, it's not like that. I mean, probably if you study French for half a year and then you go to France for, then it's going to happen. Yeah, the Japanese did not happen. So, but still, I mean, uh, what happened was there uh, was this amazing colleague of mine, and um, we would look at Dogen, so the, the Zen Buddhist. I'm really interested in. Um, at the Japanese so I would just look up every Chinese character like on its own on the dictionary online and I would do my homework in that way and then I would look at different translations and he could follow the Japanese and we just you know read three lines in this way and discuss it yeah on uh, on Friday afternoon he had time and yeah that was that was yeah that was something quite unique and amazing so
0: yeah so good because you, you taught a course, uh, the, the senior philosophy seminar last semester yeah. was about Dogen and Zen Buddhism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about it
1: appeals to you? Oh, Okay, yeah, that is, there are many, many things there. One thing is that he um, makes you really, really realize how we are situated. So we are positioned in a certain place, time, body um, so that that is it, it's a very very like g- grounding uh, awareness but also epistemologically so aware like it's not that you are looking from an objective point of view but you are really looking from a certain perspective which is uh, given by many many factors so this is like the first in a way that i think it's very important is honest and it's uh, it's important to 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 be very very explicit about that, and also yeah. explicit in a way that needs to be repeated. So you cannot just say it once and for all because today I'm differently positioned than tomorrow, and that is something that is important to repeat. So he has ways to make you that to make you see that. But the second part is that you could say, okay, but then shall we give up? You know, shall we just look at what we have in front of us and yeah, yeah. too bad, and and no. So no, so we don't give up. We don't think that thus relativism follows. No, no. So at this point, if I am in a certain relation towards what is in front of me, then I can study this relation uh, in the first place by looking at the positionality of the one in front of me. So that is the first step in the inquiry. So I look at it whatever it is, it can be a human being, can even be something non-human, it can be a mountain. So I have to relate to for instance, the time of the mountain, not be dismissive, yeah. not looking as an object. Right? So the mountain has its so. own. And that is also something that one could be dismissive of and saying, well, there is no way we can know the other, be it a person from another tradition, be it an animal or a mountain. So again, I'm excused or I do what I can do with some objective, let's say physics or whatever it is, geography, but that's it. No, so you are never excused. So there is this continuous continuous practice of positioning, positioning the other and seeing, trying to see from the perspective of the other, but also from the perspective of this encounter. So this is also something very enriching, the, the idea of encounter, the time, some people think, okay, this is Zen Buddhist that say be in the now, you know, it's like so carefree and you are just in the now and you forget everything. No, like this is very, very different. The now is like the result, let's say, it, of all the situations that led to this point and even of situation that will yeah. happen later. So this now is so, has so much depth and breadth and everything. So if you are in this, let's say, encounter with this other in the now, um, yeah. On the one hand, you should not look at something linear, like okay, by tomorrow we can not. not, You should not look at like this. But in this now, there is all the possibility of the next encounters. You are ground. You are founding it in this now. But there is also the awareness of what brought this to be, like what brought this encounter to be. So. this, con- I, I, I just wrote something that is called continuous de-centering. I think it's, so the, the, the starting point, you, you continuously put yourself out of the center and you see how anybody can be in the center or maybe nobody's in the center. And then you start uh, realizing how much is involved in this encounter. The continuous de-centering I think is a starting point and I think he does it beautifully. And then there is the next step that is really, really the encounter. So the encounter is when you start changing reality because you are in dialogue with this person or because you have seen things now from a different perspective. Yeah. Um, So this deep idea about time, about um, knowing, about this continuous practice that is a continuous inquiry in a sense, but it is not just inquiry as in, I look at something, I study you. No, the inquiry is also a way of engaging with, yeah. with whatever you are So these are some of the things that um, that are really fascinating. I think they are really core. I think they are really important in, in education as well. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting in the, in the seminar to bring those on the one hand in discussion with uh, contemporary yeah. uh, thinkers, be yeah. they, they uh, feminist epistemologists or quantum physicists, yeah. or I don't know, something else, who also talk about this, uh, yeah. these themes like positionality and the centering uh, or continuous practice. That was also one of the things, but also the the, the relevance for education to encounter this kind of, so the education that it's not like, okay, we have heard that anything goes, we have heard that it's important to have some universalism, otherwise we cannot do science. You have heard all these things, but how does, does that relate to your life as a scholar or as a person? Yeah, And here we had the, the opportunity to talk about this, but not yeah. like in, in the emptiness of just okay, what I think about it, drinking yeah. beer. But we had texts, uh, very provocative, but also very practical. Like, you know, this person is describing an encounter with a mountain or while chopping vegetable in the kitchen, or at some point talking about time. These things are all things you can relate to. We all deal with chopping vegetables, time, yeah and mountains so um so that was something that the student found very intriguing to relate this to education and to their own uh place in education
0: yeah to sort of recognize this isn't external to you but you are playing a part in this the interaction between what you're studying and yourself all of that plays a role do i understand that correctly
1: more that's very that's very good yes yes that's that's brilliant so like Every time I study something like how am I related to this, for instance, that's a very, and how am I related to this can be, I am related to this as an economist. That is one way in which one might be related to it, but one can also have completely other things. I'm related Mm -hmm. to this as a cook, not a professional cook, but I cooked. So that is also what I bring to it. Yes. And that was also something that made the class work, even if it was completely online. And that was because we, by positioning ourselves, of course, nobody was had to say something that they did not want to reveal. But that was really like, we like to know where, how did you read this? How did you do this reading from which perspective? So if someone could say, I have lived in that place or I play basketball or I play the piano or whatever. Um, So that is something that made us very interested in how someone else read the same piece yeah. that we also read yeah. because they would say well you know to me this was shocking really what yeah. this t- tell me yeah because my baseball bat when i yeah. like oh yeah oh so that was really every time was like sitting on the top yeah. of our chairs to know yeah. how would they apply yeah. and, and but but it was not just about baseball. basketball it was also for instance, in different disciplines yeah. and uh, and how like talking about relativism and uh, universalism or something yeah. in other classes or or anything like this, yes, yeah so
0: I recognize it from book clubs I've been in as well, where like we've yeah. all read the same text, but the interpretation and our response to it, both emotionally and intellectually is quite different based on whatever our identity is or our experiences are or what mindset we took with us Yes exactly. yeah, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Kim was really
0: fun yeah it's always it's ucu is such a small place but there's so many little different worlds and ways ways of thinking in it um it's been absolutely fascinating
1: to do so thank you thank you bye bye